Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Bob Stoffer, nice district at Rogers Place, Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. They're still making it great. And they got the great new Canadian Club Pizza with ham, chicken, bacon, ranch, and fresh tomatoes. You can visit royalpizza.ca. Uh, Stoffer, uh, secondary recommendation, the Mediterranean chicken. Brendan Escott's a big fan of the Texan Royal Pizza with 14 Edmonton and area locations to serve you. We're going to head off to the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline and join a man who's spent close to, uh, well, over 40 years in a variety of roles with the L.A. Kings organization. He was a uh, three-time 30-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, involved in the miracle on Manchester, and uh, for uh, decades now has been involved on the Kings television broadcast. We welcome back to the show Jim Fox. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Bob, doing great. Thanks very much for having me. We just had Kevin Lowe on. Uh, the miracle on Manchester. Until you guys had won the 2012 Stanley Cup championship, of course you won in 2012 and 2014. And by the way, uh, I won the Pub 1905 pool both years, loading up on LA King players that year. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, but uh, was that the biggest moment in the Kings organizational history for a number of years? I guess all the way, maybe 93, getting the Stanley Cup final, obviously picking up Wayne in 88. But that miracle in Manchester is one, still one of the most memorable moments in LA's uh, hockey history, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, just how far we were an underdog, you know, after the regular season and where we finished, where the Oilers finished. Um, then you get into a playoff series. And again, if we, you know, I guess if we want to count Hall of Famers that are involved in that series, uh, you know, that, you know, how deep and dark and how far we had to come to beat a team like the Oilers. Of course, we know what happened after that and how many cups they went on to win after that. But yeah, certainly, uh, you know, it was the, the Kings had some decent teams there in the seventies under Bob Pulford. But never really got to that point. Yes, Greth comes and changed the face of the Kings franchise, changes the face of the hockey industry. And then in '93, uh, beating all you know Canadian teams on the way to the Stanley, you know Stanley Cup final was just one of those things that, that caught everyone's attention. But uh, you know, you, you got to just look at you know Game Three, down five nothing after two periods. Uh, you're you're a huge underdog anyway. But somehow, somehow we found a way to win that game and then win the series. Well, it's funny because I had this conversation after Edmonton lost the playing series to Chicago. I'm like, they were the Hawks finished like seven points behind the Oilers in a playing series when nobody had played for, you know, four months or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, and one of the guys that texted me about it, I'm like, wait a sec, you were on the L- you were on the Oilers who finished 48 points ahead of L.A. D- during that 81-82. Like, was there a little bit of a sense of disbelief with your group as this was going on? Or did the belief start to grow? But in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe this has happened. We're down 5 nothing here. we got a chance to win this thing. Yeah, you know, it was, I don't think... I think it would be a lie to say that anyone thought about winning the game. I think it was the old, it's a cliche, but it's the, let's win the period. You know, let's win the third period, and then we have a chance. We'll get back in the series, those types of things. Get better, improve, uh, do it that. Now, I will tell you, we did have a team meeting before game five, which then it was a five-game series. And, you know, we sat down and we discussed our game plan. And I remember Mike Murphy just almost verbatim saying, guys, if we go out and execute this, we're going to win relatively easy. And that's what ended up happening in Gay Five. So to say belief was there, 
uh, you know that I think as the series grew, it certainly got it got to a point where yeah, in Game Five. Uh, we believe we can win. And you won game 5-7-4. I was at that game. I, I went with my cousin, and uh, we were both in high school at the time, and we were sour. Like, and it, was, and it wasn't close, and you guys walloped them pretty good. All right, let's get uh, uh, to the here and now uh, with the Edmonton Oilers and the LA Kings. They were only separated by five points, Jim. And I, a lot of the experts have picked Edmonton to be – the Edmonton, they go 14-0-1 and down the stretch. The Kings were 5-5 five and five in their final ten. The Oilers have been the sexy pick for a lot of uh, of the pundits out there. The LA Kings still have Andre Kopitar and Drew. Do- Those guys have won. They know how to win. I get the sense there's a burr in the saddle with the, the LA group. Is that a fair assessment? I'll say this. I think that the, the numbers and the predictions, uh, the biggest concern, Bob, that I had was this. The Kings got better offensively this year. I don't think there's any question about that. And yeah. the number one area to look at that is the power play. I mean, it was dangerous. And it was dangerous basically all year long. But then coming into the playoff series, at least at the start, we'll see if it changes tonight, but at the start, the Kings were missing their two best offensive one-on-one players, Kevin Fiala and Gabe Velarde. The Oilers, who are known as the offensive juggernaut, which they are, the numbers prove that, but also they tightened up defensively. So I think that's why the predictions were where they were going into the series. Having said what you said, you know, again, the way I look, I've watched it for years, Bob, you know that. I mean, when I see Andre Kopitar, you know, I asked Todd yesterday, I said, you know, and see the personification of even Keel. I mean, he's never going to jump out at you. And it, but then at the end of the night, what? He's got four points and the Kings win. Uh, you know, he's on the ice against for the 3-1 goal, where a lot of players, you know what, that would have bothered them. That would have hurt them for the rest of the game. That's when Andre got better. Uh, so, yeah, Drew Doughty, we didn't have him last year in the playoffs. So you get a player that looks forward to those, you know, matchups and confrontations. He just loves the energy. Uh, the one thing I said, uh, Bob, over the years with Drew Doughty, and it's kind of where I think he's not afraid to lose, if I can put it that way. Yep. He, he, just, he just goes there, and you know what? At the end, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you kind of know, and I think that's a nice mentality to have. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure to a certain extent, you know, we, we underplay the talent of the Kings. But I think, Bob, you know better than anyone that, you know, uh, the big identity of this group is structure and how they work together. And that starts with the coaching staff, and that is their DNA. So maybe if they are underplayed as stars – Maybe that's the case, but at the same time, you can still win. All right, so the Kings win those cups back-to-back years at hard, heavy hockey. Uh, Daryl Sutter, great shot metrics with those teams in 2012, 2014. One of the years, I think they lost to Chicago in a real close. It might have been like a seven-game series there as well. I mean, they were right there for a number of seasons and, you know, had their had their championship years. In theory, they were in a rebuild. Did Todd McClellan accelerate that when he came in and coached the team? Were they, like, last year, Jim, were they ahead of their, maybe right now, given who they've oh, yeah. had in the last couple of years with uh, Deneau and, and Fiala coming in? You, you, but are they are, are they ahead of where maybe some people thought? I think they were last year, for sure, at least one year ahead. Yeah. I think, I think the additions you talked about, you know, Rob Blake's the general manager, I think he sees what Todd was able to do with the group. And then he goes, okay, Deneau, not a superstar, 
Arvidsson, not a superstar. Okay, let's go get them. Then you have, you know, the draft picks that Rob had accumulated, and you get a Dave Velarde, and he grows and matures. Yeah. That type of thing. Then you add a Kevin Fiala, but I, I don't think Rob would take those steps if he didn't think Todd was doing probably more than expected with a group that, yes, they went they went through a teardown. I mean, they tore it down and they rebuilt it. So, uh, But, you know, again, that structure word comes up, and I hear I hear that all the time from a lot of coaches around the league, but I think it does fit the kinks. It really does because you have to look into a lot of detail to find sometimes uh, why the Kings are winning games. And when those details come together, they have a good chance. Well, I mean, they didn't have a killer uh, goal differential, at the end, which is a stat I look to, Jim. Uh, Jim Fox. By the way, how many years now have you been doing the color for uh, uh, the uh, Kings uh, television yep. broadcasts? Right. You know what? It's thirty-two or thirty-three. I never can tell wow. which one. <laughs> when, when, when you go back and do the uh, the math on it, where you start and all that. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. It was really, Bob. You, you know, it, it was really. It touched. You know, I say my wife and I. We she came and joined me in 1981. I was there in 1980. But uh, the two cups changed our lives. I mean, you know, you're around for so long. And you're, you're you're the ups, the downs, the Gretzky area, you're close, you're knocking on the door, and then you have to rebuild again. And then you go through some decent teams and some decent playoff series, but you're, you're never there. And then you go all the way. And as you mentioned, I mean, you lose in the Western Conference Final in the year you didn't win the Stuck Cup. So they had a three-year span there, but they were, they were real good. So that, that, that's, that's huge for me and my wife, just, just change our lives. Well, that's, I mean, that's cool. And right now there's listeners saying, please, let's hope Bob Stoffer doesn't get 32 years doing radio color. <laughs> of course, they're stuck listening to me 50 weeks a year for two hours as well. So, uh, yeah, plus 23 goal differential for L.A. Edmonton uh, came home hard, plus 65. We got the whole Jay Woodcroft thing. The one three one. I don't like the one three one. I don't like seeing, Jim, I don't like seeing forwards wiggling their butts through the neutral zone on a one three one. But Zone defense worked in the NBA, so they outlawed it. They outlawed it, right? There's a reason why certain uh, structure and processes work in the game, and clearly, it's you know, LA's neutral zone play is part of the reason why they're an effective team. Yeah, it, well, Bob, it's the number one reason. I mean, they they did they did go away. If you can believe it, they they went they've gone away from it more so this year than last year. Yeah. You know, the addition of a Fiala, he then all of a sudden says, okay, let's... But I think as the season has gone along, then you get at the end of the year when they were missing those guys and still missing Fiala, looks like Bellardi's going to play tonight. I think they really had to even go into it more. Where a year ago, a season ago, it was their default. It happened 85% of the time. I think this year it got to a point where it was probably under 50% when they just dropped back into the 1-3-1. I think now near the end of the season into the playoffs, you know, we've done it. We've seen it. And I know what it is, you know, not at the NHL level, but at junior level, I was, a, I was a star. I was, you know, an offensive guy. And, you know, that's what it's there. It's there to, you know, make sure that the, the top dogs can't just dangle through that zone and build up the speed. You build up the speed and all of a sudden entry into the offensive zone and you're defending all night. And that's the Kings are trying to force dumpins. If they can get those dumpins, they have a chance to win. Uh, and I know, you know, other players have expressed, expressed frustration with it and, when that happens, it just makes the Kings feel better. Uh, you talked about the Kings having a plethora of picks. They moved uh, one of the first rounders 
to address two areas of need, who's been more impactful, Corpus Salo or Gavrikov? Oh, that's a great question. Individually, if I can go this way, I think Gavrikov. But as a team concept, again, a lot of numbers early, Bob, were, were goaltending numbers. The Kings were not winning games early in the season, and their numbers, their, you know, their analytics were good. And it just boiled down to save percentage and just not getting it done. You know, they were preventing quality chances, but the puck's going. So team-wise, uh, you know, Corp- Corpusalo comes in, taking over for Copley, who really, you know, talk about stemming the tie. I mean, he, he held the Kings in there. But, uh, you know, Jonas's numbers are a little bit better, has some playoff experience, can rely on that. So he's helped the team. I think Gavrikov has come in and really opened up eyes. We knew, as you know, like, we, we heard the rumblings probably six weeks before the trade was made yep. that Gavrikov was on the radar. But we knew about his, you know, you're in Columbus, right? I hate to say it that way, but you're probably not given enough looks, right. eyeballs to get enough respect. And when he joined us, man, right away. The one thing I noticed about him, Bob, is this. He's a read and react player. He has good size. He's a left-hand shot. That's exactly what the Kings needed back on the blue line. They needed that piece to the puzzle. But he reads and reacts. He can play in a game within a game. He can be put into a situation where it's not just a you know, cookie cutter. He can figure it out. And he's been much better offensively than anyone expected. Final one for you, Jim, since you brought his name up. I have drawn a parallel between Connor Bedard and Marcel Dion, a 10-time 40-goal scorer, part of the triple crown line. You're on the second scoring line in L.A. For our younger listeners that never saw Marcel play, could you maybe uh, educate them and describe some of the unique talents and skill set that Dion had? Completely underrated for his power and strength. Because, again, he's diminutive, right? He's small, but he was thick and low center of gravity, huge legs, huge size. So he, when, he, when he leaned into anyone, you couldn't lean back. I mean, he would knock you off stride as opposed to the other way. Uh, I've seen Bedard play a few times, certainly not as many times as Marcel. The shot is a factor. I think Bedard has better fundamentals, no question. I think that, you know, the modern-day technology with a stick is a big part of that. Yep. But they both have a shot mentality. As soon as Marcel got over the blue line, even with a wrist shot, he was dangerous to score. And I think I see that in Bedard, too. Uh, I think Bedard is a little bit more elusive where Marcel could bowl through you. He could go through you and get shots and chances that way. So, uh yeah, it's you know you're talking about offensive production, and <laughs> you can see it out of both those guys. With you know Marcel, just and this is more of a team thing, but he was a on the power play, you know, almost unstoppable. And uh, that's you know you get into the playoffs like we are now, that's where it comes up huge. Jim, look, we appreciate you joining us on a game day. Thanks for your time. We'll see you here tonight. Bob, uh, you know what? I can say it's always a pleasure. Uh, we've spent many years together, and I appreciate your assistance. I appreciate you uh, you helping us out, and I appreciate you just sharing the ideas. Uh, it's always fun, and, uh, well, it could be a long one here. Let's hope it's a long one. Let's hope it's a long one. Great stuff. That is Jim Fox, who uh, uh, five times in his career had 60-plus points with the L.A. Kings, was involved in the Miracle in Manchester, and... Uh, 
what do you say, 32, 33 years as a L.A. Kings television broadcast analyst. It is 2.50 in Edmonton. We'll wrap up Oilers now after this. Well, I don't know about adjustment, but we have to improve. We have to play better. Um, I said yesterday that our um, our play in game one won't win us a series. Not against this team. We have to be better in a lot of areas. Uh, there's some individuals that have to elevate their play. Um, so uh, adjustments, we'll figure that part out. But the overall play has to go up. There you go. That's uh, Todd McClellan, the head coach, the LA Kings. He just said it. We play like that. He knows it. But that's what sucks if you're an Oilers fan, is the Oilers did play pretty good. They outplayed LA, and he says if we play that like that the rest of the way in the series, we're going to lose the series. Um, the Oilers also have to elevate, and they have to stay out of the box. Brendan, um, you, you, you're back in the studio there. You're back in town. Well, I'm crazy last night with the Leafs, by the way. That was uh, quite the thing to see. But the bottom line is it, it, both the Oilers and Toronto are in the same situation. They're down one nothing in the series. Edmonton might have played well. Toronto didn't come close to having the game they want to have. Is it do or die tonight? I don't think it's do or die per se, but listen, it's uh, to me, if you lose, but you've played the right type of hockey game, you can live with that. You're going to be in tough, but you can live with that. If you come out flat tonight and it's it's the anti-performance that you want, then I suggest that the hand might be hovering over the panic button a little bit. They earned that game through 40 minutes. The problem was the final 20. All right. Uh, we will tell you that we'll have the game tonight. Uh, again, Reed Wilkins and... Uh, Jack Michaels, Rob Brown, Cam Moon, Brendan Escott, myself on the face-off show beginning at 6. Puck drop tonight at 8.20. Uh, tomorrow we'll, we will be flying to Los Angeles. Cam Moon will be co-hosting with uh, Brendan Escott. Brendan, who's got the global news weather traffic update coming up? Nicole Gruber is going to step in here at 3. Oh, there we go. And then Chelsea on Chad with Chelsea Bird live from Ice District. Back at you at 6.35. So long.